Pastors and church planners around the world need your help to receive a confessional Reformed Baptist theological education. Introducing the William Carey Scholarship Fund at Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. You can help students like Sam in India afford seminary training and Bible software with thousands of critically needed theological books. To learn how you can help, visit cbtseminary.org slash carry. You are listening to Sermon Select on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. I don't know what your favorite psalm is, and I don't know that I would say this is my favorite, but I would say it's it's in the top five, one of my top five favorite psalms, especially as it relates to psalms of praise. Let's hear the word of God from the 95th psalm. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are all the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said, It is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swore in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. Well, heaven and earth, beloved, shall pass away, but the words of our God shall never pass away. Let's bow once more together in prayer this afternoon before proceeding. Now, Father, at the commencement of our study into the subject of family worship, as we take this up again, we pray, O Lord, that you would, in mercy, visit us with the graces of your Holy Spirit. May the words that we have even heard now, may they find a place to take root within our hearts and bear the fruit of righteousness both within the church, but especially within our families. Lord, guide us during this time and keep us alert and attentive to the things which your Spirit is saying to us now, for Christ's sake. Amen. 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 So in the time previous, we looked at the, we began the subject of family worship. We defined family worship, what it is. But then we also took the opportunity to provide a biblical defense of family worship. The, the, the aim of that time together last week was to say that this isn't something we believe is optional, nor would we say this is something we thought up or came up with. I had considered doing a, a survey of church history on the subject of family worship as one part of this series. I opted not to do that, but I will say this. We find that overwhelmingly from the earliest days of Christianity up until the present day, there have always been those within the professing church of Jesus Christ who've insisted that this is the responsibility of the heads of households, that if they would bring their families up in the fear of God, if they would govern their homes to the glory of Jesus Christ, it is necessary that they worship God in their homes. The aim last time was to convince you from the Word of God that that indeed is the case. There is sufficient proof from God's Word that if we are to, as it were, live, have godly families, that one part of godliness, one necessary part of that, 
is worship, calling upon the name of the living God. In the text we've just read, and this is one that I didn't cover and one that I think I made reference to last week but did not speak to it explicitly, this entire section of Psalms, in fact, are full of these kinds of exhortations. And it's one thing for us to hear things like, Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Or verse 1 of 96, Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Or verse 97, or verse 1 of 97, The, the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of the isles be glad. And we could just, we could go on and on and on. Well, it's one thing to hear those things and to think about them maybe in an an individualistic way. I want to do this. I want to praise the Lord. I want my life to praise and honor the Lord. It's another thing to think about these things within the context of public worship. Maybe you think about these as these are the kinds of things you hear when there's a call to worship. And that's appropriate. But the implication of these statements is that this is a general call to all of God's intelligent creatures to worship Him in the beauty of holiness. And in every context, no one is exempt from the obligation to worship the living God. Yes, the church has as one central part of what it does, one One necessary part of its ministry is its service to God in His worship. It's important that we think about worship that way. It is our ministry to God, our service to God. And it is the first ministry, the most important ministry. But that's not a service that is limited to the visible church. It's a service that is also laid on us as individuals. That in our lives... We ought to have times of, stated times of calling upon the name of God, doing essentially what we find here in these pages, in these verses of Psalm 95, singing unto Him, hearing and giving heed to His word, and also calling upon His name in prayer. It's important for us to take then these verses and to think about them carefully as it relates to family worship. These psalms are every bit as applicable to family worship as they are to church worship or any other kind of worship that we might do individually by ourselves in our prayer closets. Have you thought about it that way? It's good for us to think that way when we come to the Psalms and we see these repeated exhortations to sing. And we note the pronouns too, right? Let us sing. There's a distinctively corporate nature to it. I think the primary place where this is fulfilled is in the public gatherings of the church. But I do think it would be unwise if we limited it to say that it has no relevance to families. It absolutely does. But if this obligation to worship God in our homes, if men in their homes are commanded to to guide their families in the worship of God, if this responsibility is laid on them, then the question naturally arises, and it's a good question. What does that mean? How do I do that? Now, this is something that, sadly, in the church, There aren't a lot of pastors today who ask this question in the church. They should. They should say, well, what is worship? Biblically defined, what is worship? And what do I find in the Bible as it relates to what we're supposed to do in worship? The sad reality is I think a lot of pastors today are content to think that anything that's well-intentioned is okay to do in the worship of the church. It's a, it's a grave error. And God has told us in His Word. He's not left us without an answer. We don't have to be in doubt about what aspects, what things God has commanded in His worship. Now, we have things that are positively commanded at different points in the history of God's people. And we read today, as our brother read from us from uh, Numbers chapter 8, 
you say, well, what is the difference between a positive law and a moral law? A positive law is a, is a commandment from God that touches only on a particular circumstance that may not be universal or eternal. So God commanded his people, as it related to the Levites, to observe those rites and those rituals. But do we have to observe those things in order to be right with God and pleasing to God in our worship? No, in fact, if we observed them, we'd be violating His Word. We see that we're going to be in glory, we're going to be in heaven with Old Testament saints who were never baptized. They weren't baptized in the physical sense of being immersed in water. We're going to be with brothers and sisters in Christ who never observed the Lord's Supper. Uh, because they were in a different period of God's economy. Well, that distinguishes for us the reality that these things are positive in their character. They're positive commandments that do not transcend every period of redemptive history. They're positive commands in them. So we see baptism and the Lord's Supper as having that character about them. But then there are other things that we would say are moral in character. And when we ask the question about the worship of God, there are things that we would have to say do not belong in your family worship. We can start off there. What should I do in my family worship? We should maybe begin by saying, what shouldn't you do? It would be wrong for you to, for instance, try to duplicate church worship, copy and paste the order of service from your church and then take it as a, so we're going to do everything that's in the order of service for my church. I'm going to do it in my family. Uh, and I know I've had questions. Uh, some of you have asked me. We've had discussions in time past about you know, observing the Lord's Supper in your home, in your family. Um, sometimes it's like, well, what do, what do we do if, if, if our family we have family members that want to do that? Should we participate in that? Of course, the answer is no. It's a church ordinance distinctively belongs to the visible congregation of Jesus Christ. It doesn't belong in the family any more than it belongs in the state. I mean, God forbid we should turn on C-SPAN and see the senators all standing in the aisles going down toward the deists to get their cup and their bread. We would be, we'd be scandalized by that. We'd say, what in the world is going on? Because it doesn't belong there. That's not what Holy Communion is. That's not what... That's not what the, the ordinance was given to us for. It was given for the church. It's a very, it's a, it's a token of what Christ has done for his church and of that communion that the saints hold together in fellowship with him. So no, things like the Lord's Supper. What about baptism? And this is something that I've had from time to time as well. I remember years ago, I had a family visit the church in, uh, that we were at in Georgia and they, unfortunately, there was a there was a there was a man leading that family with so many scruples about so many uh, so many things that the Bible never addresses that he had determined there was no church anywhere that he could ever be a part of, and so he confidently told me that we have church in our living room. Now, family worship is commanded by God, but it's not a church. You worshiping God in your living room is not a church in the biblical sense of the word. With, with a, uh, a, a stated and covenanted membership under the, under the submission and authority of biblically ordained elders and deacons. With the right to administer those ordinances such as baptism and the Lord's Supper. You know, one of the responsibilities of a church is to evangelize. So I asked him when he said his, his house, his family, they, that was their church. I said, okay, um, what do you do for evangelism? And he said, oh, well, you know, I'm, you know, we witness. We witness to people. And I said, well, that's good. What are you going to do when they get converted? Are you going to baptize them and add them to your church? And he said, well, no, no, we're not going to do, we're not going to do that. And I said, it's because you're not a church. You're a family. And so in thinking about these things, we need to think carefully. There are distinctions to be made between the church as ordained and instituted by God and the family as ordained and instituted by God. 
So there are things, such as baptism in the Lord's Supper, that do not belong in family worship. Let me add one other thing. And perhaps this is something that will relieve you. It'll make you, you'll be glad to hear this. But in the strict sense of the word, the preaching of God's word is not a part of family worship. Now, I'm not saying you can't listen to a good sermon uh, on, on sermon audio or YouTube or what have you, wherever you might find one as a family. That's a perfectly wholesome practice. What I am saying is that if you as a husband and a father feel like, well, if I'm going to do family worship, don't I have this obligation, this heavy burden of being able to like preach the Bible to my kids and, and my wife? And I don't feel competent to do that. I don't feel like I really know the Bible well enough. And then there's the issue of preparation. And wouldn't I have to study every day so that I could then rehearse uh, my sermon to my family? Well, let me say, God gives various gifts to his people. And some of you men would have no problem opening any place of Scripture and being able to give a, a good explanation to your family about its contents. Some of you men would be petrified at the prospect of having to do that every day. And it would be enough for you to just dispense with it and say, I'm not going it's, it's too intimidating, I can't do it. It would discourage you. And for those women who do not have a believing husband and they still feel compelled that they want to lead their children to worship the Lord together, to pray with them and to read the Bible with their children, they would, of course, feel also perhaps intimidated by that. Strictly speaking, the preaching of the Word as we understand it in terms of the context of the local church is not one and the same with what we should expect in our family worship. Indeed, the Lord has gifted. He's given gifts to His church in terms of pastors and teachers whose special gift it is to preach the Word. The Spirit gives gifts to His church. Well, He doesn't give everybody that gift. He doesn't give every husband and father that gift. We have to get out of our minds this notion, and this is very common and prevalent, I think, in evangelicalism, where everyone's expected to be proficient in the Bible to where they can go out and be an evangelist and preach on the streets and answer every question. Let me tell you, you should, you should certainly be diligent in your study of God's Word. But does that mean all of us or, or many of us are, are going to rise to the level of understanding and the ability to communicate biblical truth that approaches something like you should be in the ministry preaching the Word of God on a regular basis? No. So those are things that I would say when we're thinking about family worship, we're not talking about those things that relate specifically to the public worship of the church. Well, then what things do belong in the worship of the family. Uh, let me direct your attention to our confession of faith. In the back of your hymnal, and in chapter 22 of our confession of faith, you'll find it on page 682 in the back beyond the hymns, past the hymns, 682. <coughs> Chapter 22 of Religious Worship and the Sabbath Day. Paragraph 3 uh, begins by laying out what those biblical elements of Worship are. It says prayer. That's the first thing it mentions. Prayer with thanksgiving. Being one special part of natural worship. Now let's explain the confessors on that point. Why do they use that term, natural worship? Natural worship meaning that worship which is most common to all men in every place and at all times. The heathen in the bush, what does he do when he does not, when he, when he calls out to the unknown God? He knows to pray. That's the most natural thing under the sun. It's for him to call out to a God, perhaps, that he doesn't even know. So prayer is the most basic and fundamental aspect of natural worship. And it is by God required of all men. But that it may be accepted, it is to be made in the name of the Son, by the help of the Spirit, according to His will. 
number paragraph four. It tells us what things are to be prayed for. Paragraph five proceeds to the other elements of biblical worship. Having addressed prayer, it says the reading of the scriptures, preaching, and hearing the word of God, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord, as also the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper, are all parts of religious the religious worship of God to be performed in obedience to Him. Now, we see these things, baptism and the Lord's Supper, we mentioned, the preaching of God's Word, we mentioned, as those things being particularly confined to the visible church. But what are those other things? They are, if we take out those things which are exclusive to the church, what are we left with? We're left with prayer, the reading of the Scriptures, and the singing of God's praise. Now you'll note paragraph 6. Look with me at paragraph 6 and we'll note what's said there. It's very helpful. Neither prayer nor any other part of religious worship is now under the gospel tied unto or made more acceptable by any place in which it's performed or toward which it is directed. Now this is for Roman Catholicism that taught, you know, it has to happen in a sanctified cathedral or a sanctified building or... Uh, you, you can see other religions toward which it's directed. You know, you had Jews in the old times and maybe even today they would pray toward Jerusalem. And then you have Muslims who will pray in the direction of Mecca. We're not to entertain any such superstitious notions like we need to direct our prayers toward Jerusalem in order for them to be more accepted toward God. Not at all. No, for the church it can worship in any place. And it can worship in any kind of building. It can worship without a building. Jesus, where'er thy people meet, there they behold thy mercy seat. Where'er they seek thee, thou art found, and every place is hallowed ground. But it goes further. That applies to the church, but it also applies to the family. So notice what it says continuing. But God is to be worshipped everywhere in spirit and in truth, as in private families daily and in secret, each one by himself. So more solemnly in the public assemblies, which are not carelessly nor willfully to be neglected nor forsaken, when God by his word and providence calls us thereunto. Now, you'll note that the confession talks about really three spheres of worship. It talks about worship in the family. It talks about private worship. And then it talks about worship in the church a well-rounded Christian life and a close walk with God will exhibit these three, these three levels of worship. I worship God in my closet. I call upon Him in private prayer. And Jesus does not uh, give His disciples commands about private prayer. He just assumes it. Matthew chapter 5, He says, But you, when you pray, enter into your closet. There was no doubt in Jesus' mind that his disciples were praying people. He talks about the three pillars of good works, the three righteous works which could be done by his disciples were, one, prayer, two, fasting, and three, the giving of alms. In those three things, Jesus begins the teaching on each one with these words, but you, when you do this, when you do this, he doesn't say, do this, he just already assumed. His disciples knew that's what was expected of them. That's what, uh, that's what practical godliness was going to look like in their life. They were going to be people who prayed. They were going to be people who fasted. But they were going to be people who prayed privately. So there's that most basic level of the worship of God. Do you worship God in your closet? Do you have a prayer closet? And it doesn't have to be a literal closet. Do you have a stated time for calling upon the name of the Lord in the morning and in the evening? That's, that's the, I think, probably the, the best practice. To bookend your day with prayer to God. Time is word. But the same is true for the family. There's that second level of worship. It's in the family. Are you in a family? Every family ought to worship God. Just as every individual should worship God, every family should worship God together. You know the old expression, the family that prays together stays together. And that would seem to be the implication of Peter's words when he said, don't be harsh with your wives. 
Don't be harsh with your wives. Why? So that your prayers be not hindered. In other words, your family prayers. You're not likely to want to come together in the worship of God if you've been really cross with one another. So your prayers be not hindered. Your time of worship together be not hindered by your rude carriage one toward another. Uh, Incidentally, on that note, I found a Bible from 1551 that was published in England. I think it was the Great Bible or the Bishop's Bible, one or the other. But on that note about Peter telling telling, uh, husbands to be understanding, dwell with your wives and understanding, love. You know, Peter's really exhorting men to be, they are the weaker vessel. And you need to be understanding of that fact, loving, patient, tender. That's, That's the thrust of Peter's words. In one of these Bibles, the editors decide to put a note at the bottom that said, but if she will not learn obedience, then beat her about the head until she learns her duty rightly. And that Bible became known as the Wife Beater's Bible. That's a really strange things in those days. You know, just, you think a guy reads that verse from Peter and he comes away with that. That's his takeaway. Well, beloved, no, there's to be worship in the, on the individual level. There's to be worship in the family, there's to be worship in the church. We're talking about family worship. What should we include? We come away from the statements here by being careful to remove from family worship those things which rightly belong exclusively to the church, and we're left with these three things. To read, pray, and sing. To read, pray, and sing. This was recorded by some of the early church fathers that twice a day, early Christian families would have worship. In the morning, they would come together. They would read from the Old Testament. Presumably, they didn't have copies of the New Testament available to them at that early period. They'd read read from the Old Testament scriptures, and then they would sing the Psalms. And then they would pray. The father would lead his family in prayer. And then they would repeat the same thing in the evening when the family came back home and before they retired to bed. That's in the earliest days of Christianity. Uh, the, The historian notes that the time of morning prayer was brief. It was much more brief because, you know, there was the need for everybody to get to work. But the time in the evening was much longer. And so they'd close out their day in dwelling upon the Word of God. And we find this all throughout history. One of my favorite uh, uh, commentators, writers, uh, one man who's been a constant companion of mine in the ministry has been Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry, his commentary is excellent. I recommend it to you. But Matthew Henry said this concerning family prayer, repeating the same kind of idea. There's to be these three parts, reading, praying, singing. Matthew Henry says this. He says, uh, the, the family, or they that have prayer in the family, do well. They that pray and read the scriptures do better. But they that pray, read, and sing do best of all. There you see that same mentality, an eminent man of God. And Matthew Henry's testimony is bound up very much in family worship. He talks about in, in, his, in his own life the, the witness of his father, Philip Henry, who was so diligent in family worship, so warm, so tender, and so earnest in his prayers with his family and in the teaching of God's word. He attributes his conversion almost exclusively to the labors of his father in their home. But not only this, Matthew Henry's father would also was very concerned that family worship was maintained by the members of their congregation. And he was always asking people if they were keeping that up. He wanted the people in their church to be diligent in this practice. So we see then these three things. To read, to pray, and to sing. But let me say this. I think there's also some wisdom to be found in how Matthew Henry phrases his Statement: They that pray do well. They that pray and read do better. They that pray, read, and sing do best of all. The most basic aspect of worship is prayer. You can read your Bible without ever worshiping God, but you can't pray without faith and devotion. You, know, you can mouth words, sure, but if you're sincere, 
You're really sincere in calling upon God. That requires faith. Faith must be exercised. Now, the worship of God, of course, includes the reading of God's Word, but let's not neglect prayer. I find this defect in a lot of family worship. We read the Bible. We read the notes from the study Bible. We went through a book together. We did a lot of reading. We did a lot of listening. We did a lot of learning. Did you do any praying? Beloved, if we haven't prayed, we haven't worshipped. We need the Word of God, but we need it accompanied with prayer. Hearing the Word of God without praying just says, I don't need the Holy Spirit to instruct me in these things. I don't need the Holy Spirit to apply them to the conscience of my children or teenagers. No, we definitely do. Let's never neglect prayer. Let prayer be... Uh, let, our, let our times of family worship be bathed in prayer. But let me get to this point. As it relates to reading, my encouragement to you would, would be this. Read the Word of God. Do not substitute the family worship in your home with anything other than the Word of God. I'm not saying you shouldn't read good books together. And some men will, I've heard, they'll say, well, you know, we read a Christian biography together and that's our family worship. Uh, it's great to read Christian biographies. There's fewer things more, uh, more helpful in impressing young minds. But it's not the Word of God. And the worship of God includes the reading of His Word. So when you read, read the Bible. Read a good translation of the Bible. Now the concern here is with little ones. A lot of times people say, well, yes, but they don't understand it. Well, they may not understand it all now, but there is something very important being communicated to them when this book is opened and they hear you reading it and you do the level best you can perhaps to explain it to them in simple, simple childlike terms. They know this is a lofty book. They know there are big things in there that are perhaps difficult to understand at a young age. And But understand this. They need to understand this is the word of the living God. Your, your worship as a family then should communicate that. Don't be content with a children's Bible, Bible that just tells cute stories about Jonah and, and, and Abraham and, and etc. That's not the word of God either. I'm not saying don't have children's Bibles. I'm only saying in your family worship, use your Bible, open your Bibles. And when your children get to the age that they can read, require them to have theirs with them. Involve them in the reading of it as best they can. For a little child, that might mean they're going to read one verse or two verses slowly, painstakingly, but that's okay. You're letting them read the Bible and they feel like they're contributing to the family worship. That's good. But read your Bible and have a plan. Uh, in our family, we, we will ordinarily, let me say there's a lot of ways to do this. There's no one way to skin this cat. I don't want anybody to hear what I'm saying right now in terms of what we do as a family is the way you need to do it. Uh, there are a lot of ways to do it, but have a plan. And maybe that's like something as simple as we do here in the church. On Sunday morning, we read through the New Testament. And Sunday afternoon, we read through the Old Testament. We just go consecutively through, read a chapter at a time, roughly. You could do that in your home. In the morning, read through the New Testament. In the evening, read through the Old Testament or whatever. Read at a slower pace. Take smaller segments of Scripture for young, young children. So we're going to read through the Gospel of Luke. We're going to read through it paragraph by paragraph, a few verses at a time. And then talk about what you've encountered in the reading of Scripture. But have a plan. I'm not saying what your plan needs to be. I am saying you need to have one if you want this to be effective. So have a plan. In the reading of God's Word... Read reverently and read interestingly. Here's what I mean. Don't read it like you're reading the, the manual to your automobile or a phone book. And some of you I know will be stronger readers and less gifted readers, but let, let me just say this. You, you want to try to read in a way that's it's edifying for the family. They're brought into it. They have a sense of what's being read and teach your children to do the same thing. We've spent a lot of time with our kids through the years teaching them not only to read, but also how to read aloud so that other people can hear it and profit from it. And especially because 
that's that's under edification in family worship. That's a blessing when you can hear someone who's reading well. They're reading clearly. They're not mumbling. Any kid, most kids, if you don't train them, they'll put their face in their Bible and they'll mumble like this. And you'll never hear anything they're saying. It's okay. Be patient with your children and teaching them these things. But they can be taught. And children generally are eager to please their parents when their requests are reasonable. So be patient, be loving, don't become exasperated, but read. So read the Word of God. Now, what about preparation? Do, do I need to have a lesson formed? You need to get the stories of Spurgeon and family worship. The people said that Spurgeon's family worship was just, it was great. I bet it was. You know, and the, what he would come up with in just sitting there with his Bible open in front of him, the kind of lessons that he would draw from the scriptures would just, you know, it was incredible. He had Bible college students who were in his home watching him do this with his kids. Well, none of us are Spurgeon, and we shouldn't expect that we have to be in order for family worship to be profitable. You say, I don't know a lot about the Bible. You don't have to. If you do nothing more than read it, read it. And if by God's grace anything should strike you, talk about it as a family. Your children will ask questions that maybe you don't know the answers to. Just be honest with them. You say, you know, I don't know, but I, I can look into that and we can, we can study that together. Here's another thing. Ask your children questions to determine whether or not they're actually hearing what you're reading and understanding it. So reading. What about the next part? Pray. And not in this order. Don't get hung up about the order. I've seen some family worship books which are crazy. <laughs> I saw one one time that had such an intricate, detailed order of worship. It said, you know, you're going to begin with a call to worship and then you're going to have a, an opening prayer of adoration. And it was more complicated than what we do here in the church. You're going to recite the creed and then the commandments and then keep it simple. Read the Bible, pray, and sing. As long as those three elements are there, in general, your order may vary. How you, what order you do those things in may vary. But have these things present. Also, pray, or excuse me, sing. Let us sing. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Do you have a hymnal in your home? I think most of us probably have multiple Bibles. Let me say, you ought to have multiple hymnals, preferably the same one, so that as a family you can sing together. It's such a blessing. If you don't have a hymnal, let me say, we live in a day and an age in technology where anything can be printed out and anything can be pulled up and these things can be sung in the family. We have hymnals here at our church. One of the reasons we bought new hymnals a lot of our hymnals were getting pretty beat up but there was another reason and that was so that we had hymnals available to give away to families and we've given a lot a lot of families hymnals have a hymnal for every reading member of your family so that when you do family worship you can sing together as a family we don't always sing but we do frequently sing and of course little ones who don't know you're gonna, what are you going to do? You're going to sing songs, maybe with a little more repetition. Maybe just teach them one verse by memory. One we know in our family is the third verse to now thank we all our God. All praise and thanks to God the Father now be given, the Son and Him who reigns with them in highest heaven, the one eternal God whom earth and heaven adore, who thus it was, is now, and shall be evermore. All our kids know that one. But you can teach that to a little one. You just sing it every night. And you know what? Someone as young as Phineas or Shiloh can get the hang of that without any trouble. They just keep hearing it. They're just little pole parrots and they'll start repeating it. The same thing with the Psalms. Take a verse, just one verse from a hymn, one verse from a Psalter. The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me down to lie in pastures green. He leadeth me the quiet waters by. You just sing that every night with your, with your little toddlers. And you know what? Your toddlers will be singing that through the day. You'll hear them playing in their room, playing with their toys, and they'll be, they'll be hymning the words of the 23rd Psalm. It's precious, but you can teach them. They can learn. They can participate. Require them to participate. Do not allow them to sit. Well, he's going to play with Legos, so he's quiet, so we can have family worship. No. 
require participation. You don't have to be heavy-handed. And this is another reason why family worship should be brief. It doesn't need to be long to be effective and, and powerful. You read, you sing, and you sing good hymns. And I say that the hymnal in our church, teach your kids the hymns that we sing here. So that when we do this, the hymn singing in the afternoon, isn't it wonderful when the little ones know a hymn they want to sing? It's because they know it. <coughs> they like that hymn. Maybe they sing it in their families. So sing the praises of God. Sing the psalms of God. Sing the hymns. And in this way, you will fix in their minds biblical truths that will never be forgotten. Thirdly, pray. And there's all kinds of ways to do this. You may pray. A father may lead his family in prayer. A husband may lead his wife in prayer. And he may take requests. Or you may pray. All members of the family might take turns praying. In our family, sometimes we, we'll, we vary our practice. Sometimes I'll call on one of the kids to pray, or I'll call on mama to pray, or I'll pray. Don't, don't be so rigid and formal about it that you, you feel like it has to and involve the kids. It, it, it interests them in it, and, and they take a greater part in that worship. Prayer is one part of that. Sometimes we take requests. But whatever you do, pray for the things that relate specifically to your family. You're praying for your church, yes. But pray for those things that are specific to your family. Grandma's got a, a, a surgery coming up in a week or two. Or uncle, uncle so-and-so is looking for work. Whatever it is that's going on in the life of your family, make sure those things are included in prayer. And you know kids are really good about remembering those things. We're apt to forgetting them. Pray for those things. Make those things the objects of your prayer. But then pray for the forgiveness of your sins as a family. Pray for the sanctification of God's Spirit in your family. Pray for the conversion of your children in your family. Pray for the conversion of your spouse if need be. But pray for these things, those spiritual needs of your family, most of all. I want to conclude with three very simple steps, or three very, uh, uh, some simple observations that, that we need to keep in mind. One, I've mentioned it, but I want to, I want to drill down on it, simplicity. Maybe this looks like at the end of a meal. Overcomplicating things means we're going to have this separate time. Everybody came together for dinner, but then you they all peel off and they're doing their different things. If you're already ready together for dinner every night, that's a great time to do family worship. When you're done eating and the meal's drawn to its close, everybody push their plates aside. No cleaning up. You don't even need to do that. Dad grabs his Bible and or whatever other things he's going to use in family worship. He brings them to the table. He begins reading the scriptures. And then you maybe sing the hymn or the line of the hymn that you've been memorizing from a hymn or a song. And then you pray together. You ask, you say, hey, do we have things that we need to remember in prayer tonight? The various members of the family will mention things that they were thinking about that would be good to pray for. Maybe father prays, maybe another prays, but you pray together. It's simple. It doesn't need to be long. 15 to 20 minutes. Immensely valuable time spent. 15 to 20 minutes in the word, prayer, and in the praises of God. Keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't overthink it. Secondly, keep it spiritual. Avoid the pitfall of formalism in family worship. It's a danger in the church, but it's a danger in family worship. Going through the same pattern without any real seriousness of heart or earnestness of soul. Don't do that. Don't allow your children to listlessly go through the motions without ever stopping to ask them, what do you think of what Jesus said in that verse? Do you believe him? These are times like no other when in the life of your children especially, you're going to have an opportunity to put very direct questions to them about the claims of Scripture and the claims of the Gospel. One person I would recommend as a model of this is Bishop J.C. Ryle. 
His expository thoughts on the gospel is outstanding. It takes you about 10 minutes to read one little section from J.C. Ryle, but let me tell you, the man never fails to put his finger on your chest and to make you feel the power of the implications of what you've read in the scriptures. It's a very pointed resource, and it's simple enough for children to understand. But do that yourself, even if you're not even using Bishop Ryle. Use someone else, but do that. Make sure that your worship is spiritual and it's earnest. We want to worship the Lord in, in spirit and in truth. Let your prayers be ardent prayers, feeling prayers. I hope you are let I hope you're much less formal. We got men that pray in our church. Good and godly men. Men, I hope that you unbosom your soul before the Almighty in private prayer in a way much less becoming than anything you've ever said here in this house. I hope your prayers in private are marked by a familiarity with God that would be out of place in the public worship of God. But let me say, the same thing is true in family worship. Our praying in the family, we ought to feel a greater liberty and a, a greater ability to, to really, as it were, unbosom ourselves and to speak in a way that is feeling and to not be so concerned with in a large congregation being a distraction in worship, as you might be, but three levels of worship, public, family, private. You know, the... You get into family worship, you should be less formal than in public worship. When you get into private worship, you should be less formal than in family worship. Why? Because it's just you and the Almighty. It's just you and your Jesus who loves you and cares for you. And you can do that without the threat of being a distraction or a scandal to anybody else. I hope you confess sins in private. I hope you're very honest and forthright with God in your prayers in private. But you can be more honest even in the family than you would be in church. You can talk about things in your family and pray for things in your family that you'd never want to bring up in the context of a public worship service. So allow that simplicity and that spirituality to permeate what you do in family worship. And then my third and final plea. Keep it simple. Keep it spiritual. And be consistent. Be consistent. I said it last time. A family is a household. Are you in a household? You say, it's just me and my husband. Okay, that's a family. Worship God in your family and be consistent. Ideally, do it morning and evening. But at the very least, do it daily. Now, don't allow yourself to be sucked into a legalistic trap don't beat yourself up when you neglected a, a day, a few days, a couple of weeks. If today I'm talking to you and you already know, well, we've blown it as, as a family. We just, we are so lax. And everything I'm saying is convicting you. Do not fret. Just take it up again. Take it up and pick up where you left off. Rededicate yourself to doing this practice in your home to the glory of God and the good of your family. Don't fret about time wasted or lost because of inconsistency. Be consistent now. Be consistent now. And beloved, it's not too late. Some of you will say, you know, we missed the best years of our kids' childhood neglecting family worship. And now they're teenagers. They would probably think if we started doing family worship now, they'd probably think it's weird. They probably wouldn't want to do it. Take it up now. Maybe you only have a few more years. Maybe you only have two or one more year with your kid under your roof. Do everything you can now to worship God now and to bear witness to them now while it is still called today. Let me give this last final word to our kids. Kids, are you listening? Raise your hand if you're listening. All our kids are listening. Look at me. I want to see your eyeballs. When family worship happens in your home, you're worshiping God. Do you understand? It's not mom and daddy worshiping God, and you're just sitting there waiting for it to be over. Did you hear what the psalmist said? What did he say in the Bible that we read earlier? 
He said, if today you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. This is the trouble for young kids that grow up in godly homes. The word of God is taken for granted. Your parents love you so much that they read the Bible to you and they teach you to praise God and they teach you to pray to God. Don't squander it. You know what? You'll blink your eye and you'll be an adult. And you may not be under your parents' roof where you can hear the word of God. And you know what? What's worse? You might actually be glad of that. You might be happy to be free from your parents. Listen to me, dear children. If today you can hear God's voice when your daddy reads it to you in family worship, do not harden your heart. Listen carefully. Be thankful for it and seek by God's grace to obey him and to obey the Lord in all things and to walk in his ways. Little boy, you should desire to be as godly as the father who leads you in family worship. Girls, you should desire to be a godly mother to your children when you grow up and to be an example of Christ's likeness to them. But that won't happen if you neglect, if you do not pay attention in family worship, if you don't worship God now. Solomon said this, remember your creator now in the days of your youth. You're in the days of your youth. Remember your creator. Do not fail to get every good thing that you can from your parents now while you're young and under their roof. Cherish this time. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the time to meditate on this theme. And Lord, we know that there's none of us here who would say that we are as consistent as we should be or as profitable as we should be in family worship. We, Wherever we are, whatever our place is in that, Lord, we know we are often careless and negligent. And Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for this. Give us grace, Lord. Grant your word to come to us with fresh power. And Lord, give us the grace to be simple, spiritual, and consistent. As we pray together in our families, read your word and sing your most holy praise. Lord, grant that the fruits of these exercises would redound to your glory in the salvation of every member of our home. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's Sermon Select on the Man of God Network brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS is a confessional Reformed Baptist seminary which provides affordable online theological education to help the church in its calling to train faithful men for the gospel ministry. To learn more, visit cbtseminary.org.